Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Customer engagement used to be all nice restaurants and tea times. But with ZoomInfo, you can engage with the right customers across all channels from one platform. Engage customers at ZoomInfo.com. ZoomInfo, how business goes to market. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck! The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Yes, I'm wearing my Red Sox shirt in support of the team that just lost Xander Bogarts to the San Diego Padres for reportedly hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars more than the Red Sox are willing to spend. But I ain't jumping off the train. And thank you for joining us on the program, ladies and gentlemen. A lot happening in the world of MMA. And this week, doing something a little bit different. No matchup, no contest. Just some live talking heads, chatting the biggest stories in the sport since there's so much happening. So joining me once again this week, Mr. No Gray Area, the Exhibition King, the co-host of No Bets Bard, Mr. Jed Mishu. Hello, Jed. Love talking heads. Who doesn't love the talking heads? You know, it's just it's the best kind of entertainment. So happy to be here, buddy. Well, I'm happy to have you here. Let's uh, let's just start with the fallout of UFC Orlando. Let's put a pin in this all together because it went down this past Saturday. Main event. We saw Stephen Wonderboy Thompson pick up a fourth round TKO win over Kevin Holland. It was a great fight. One of the seven to 10 best fights of the year. Definitely not the best fight of the year. I saw a lot of that. You guys are all insane if you feel that way, but (laughs) it was was a damn good fight. (laughs) I ain't taking anything away from it, but Wonderboy got it done. We'll start here, Jed, and we'll get into the stars. Did you learn more about Stephen Thompson in this fight or Kevin Holland? Uh, Probably Kevin Holland, I guess. I I didn't learn anything about Stephen Thompson. Uh, I definitely learned some things about Kevin Holland. They're probably not good things, if we're being honest. I do want to address the thing you just said, because I did not watch this fight live. Uh, I had a big day, SEC Championship. I wasn't working the event. Maybe tossed a few back. Maybe this fight I happened at like 3 in the morning or some ungodly hour, because <laughs> I tried to hang on, man. I made it. I barely made it to watch Sergey Pavlovich tie to Ivasa live. Like, I barely made that one. Uh, before I just kind of like fell out and decided I'm just going to go to bed. Uh, and so then I woke up and, okay, Wonder Boy won, cool. And then I started hearing all this like, this one the maybe this might be the best fight ever. And I still didn't watch it on Sunday because other stuff got in the way. And then Wonder Boy goes on on the MMA Hour, great program, uh, and is like, you know, I hear people are saying it might be the fight of the year. And I'm like, well, maybe I missed something here. This is really, really great fight, fight of the year. And so I finally went and watched it and 
That isn't even close to the fight. Pete, what are we talking about? That was a good fight. That is a fine fight to win. Fight of the night honors. That is not in the top five. That is not going to be an honorable mention for my fight of the year list. It was just a good fight. It was a fun fight, but I don't, that just seems insane to me. That sort of the, that narrative popping up, it feels real recency bias. And because they didn't do any of the grappling, maybe people just loved it. Like, I don't know. That wasn't fight of the year, my man. I agree. So what did you learn about Kevin Holland in the fight? Oh, I forgot. That was the point of the question. Um, (laughs) I learned that he is, uh, he is really good at fighting. And I mean this in a very specific way. Because we talk about it all the time. This is nominally a sport, but it is mostly an entertainment product. And Kevin Holland is probably never going to be a champion. I feel pretty confident saying that he is never going – he has a ceiling that is not UFC champion level. He maybe could string together the appropriate amount of wins uh, if there's – if some things break right to get a title shot. That is that that's that's probably not super likely, but I think that's in the realm of possible for him. And so looking at that, and maybe this is not the calculus he made, maybe it's just who he is, you know, internally. He's like, I'm just gonna be fun. And there's a whole world of opportunity for guys who have some personality and who are just willing to be fun and fun in the traditional fan centric view of it. And so, absolutely. Michael Bisping, I know that you tried to come at us about some nonsense, and I had to check you real fast, but you said what you said, and you, and what you said was correct, that he did not fight the smartest fight, that he let his ego get in the way. And that is valid and fair criticism of the man. Also, probably in the long term, it's better, because yes, he could have won that fight, and he'd get the two paychecks, etc. But Kevin Holland, everybody is going to tune in to keep watching in this fight this man fight because that's what he does he comes in and he is just trying to mix it up in the in the ways that fans want to see and so his fight iq is probably not the highest in the world because maybe his ego does outweigh it but his long-term you know uh promoter centric version of how to proceed with an mma career man is spot on and he delivered a moment I, i nobody left that card unhappy with what happened and a lot of that goes to wonder boy as well but certainly that's it it takes two to tango and kevin holland was exceedingly willing to tango in the most entertaining way possible on on saturday night i agree with you i feel like kevin holland has entered that sort of Derek lewis territory maybe it's not like a complete fair comparison but we're like titles don't matter rankings don't matter mm. nobody cares they just want to watch him fight they don't care who watch he fights get down. they're just happy yeah. to see kevin fight exactly um so it's it's not a bad spot to be in there's a lot of fighters in that boat and that's good you can make quite the career doing that even if you that's don't become better a champion, than like 95 percent of of professional fighters in the world is getting into that boat makes you in a very small list of people where it's just like People know you, and when they fight, you're like, hell yeah, I'll, well, let's do it. Let's watch that man boogie. Now, on the flip side, and I know you said you didn't learn a ton about Wonderboy Thompson in this fight. He said the main goal for him against Kevin Hall was to prove to the fans he ain't just like an old dude. He still got it. He could still compete. 
So did this performance from Wonderboy make you think in any way, you know what? If he's booked properly, maybe he does have another title run left in him. Do you think that's possible here? Or do you think no, no, no. he's just going to no, run no, no. into, he's going to have to run into Shavkat at some point and it's not, not going to be good. No, no, no. Uh, I learned that that Stephen Thompson is not washed. I did not, I did not believe that he was, but it was very possible just because we hadn't seen him look. He looked fine in spots against Burns and Muhammad, but mostly they just totally nullified his ability to do the things he wants to do, and so it's tough to gauge. And he's pushing forty; he's going to be forty, I think, in February. There was a real question about because I do think his style is not suited to aging gracefully just because it relies on a lot of reflexes and quick triggers and those things go away uh, as you get older i learned that he still has those so at least at this very moment in time he is not washed and if you book him properly he can get wins he cannot make another title run because the weight class is what it is like there's just I'm, I just pulled up the UFC's ranking since I know that they don't matter, but in this context, he's not going to be facing, you know, Logan Storley or the Bellator guys. Uh, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, Hamza Shemaev, Bilal Muhammad, and Gilbert Burns are the top five not holding belts in the UFCs. There is, I mean, we've seen two of them just ragdoll the man, and. It, there is a strong, if not factually accurate statement to just say that Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns are the worst of the wrestlers from that group of five. Like there, there is no path for him at some point. And because again, that's also not including Shavkat who isn't in their top five, but he's close. He just has to get the wins to be there. There is no, there is no way for him to, to weave into a title shot that doesn't involve fighting a wrestler who will just dunk on him the way he did his last two. So no title fights for him, but he can just do fun stuff. Like, you just have him fight. He can fight Santiago Ponzinibbio after the Morono fight, or he can fight Robbie Lawler when Robbie's back to health. You just do those things with him and and let him do that, and that's a, a reasonable and good use of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson at this point. Yeah, fight Mazadal, fight uh, Michelle Pajeda. Yeah, oh, I, the, I don't care about the – we saw the Masvidal thing, and that fight just has very little traction to me. Um it seems weird, but the Pajeda one's great. Like do that. That's a great fight. And then even like, cause Pajeda's on the outside of the rankings, like that even has relevance to the division. It's not just a total, just fun fight or whatever. There's some meaning behind it. That's a great fight. You can do that. A lot of people brought the Connor fight. Like, would you be interested in Connor versus wonder boy? I will watch. I talk a lot of shit about Connor for reasons that I think are pretty obvious and well warranted. Uh, I'll watch Connor fight every time because all, all, all of the many bad things you can say about Connor and the many critiques you can have about his game and his growth and et cetera, he is one of unquestionably the five most exciting fist fighters who have ever graced the cage, not including the circus that surrounds him, just his in cage product. Like the reason I have been so high on wanting Connor McGregor versus Justin Gaethje is I think empirically it is the most exciting fight that could ever happen. Like they, those do every time they turn up the one boring fight, the one fight that is, was not compelling or interesting for Connor, the one 
was him fighting Max Holloway when he blew out his knee. And if you rebook that fight, one, Max going to put the wood to that man. And two, that fight is going to rule. Like, it, that's just one of those weird anomalies where you put Max and Connor, two of the most exciting guys ever, and somehow you don't get an interesting fight because MMA is weird sometimes. But I'll watch that f- dude fight anybody because he his in-cage product has never not been fun. So I actually do think that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson might make his in-cage product not as fun as other like i don't think stylistically they're going to clash in the most compelling way but if you want to do it that's fine I, I i don't think it ever happens though so it is a bit of a moot point all right so outside of the main event and there's motorcycles everywhere you can go whatever way you want with this but outside of thompson or holland who are your three stars of ufc orlando and then we'll move on uh, so I didn't watch I have I didn't watch the co-main event or the flyweights because I fell asleep and I haven't caught back up on them. Um, but I suspect that I can I can piece together how the co-main event looked. <laughs> my my guess it's is nothing exactly shocking. What we thought it was. My guess is nothing shocking happened in that fight. Uh, and similarly, the flyweight fight we got good Mateus Nicolau instead of bad Mateus. Uh, I'm going to suspect that that's how that one looked. Uh, if I'm giving you three stars, I really just want to give you one because the rest of it does not matter. Uh, I can throw out some other names. Nicolau probably gets it just because he's pretty close to a flyweight title fight. Uh, but the guy, well, you know who we're going to talk about. It's it's Ivan Drago, it's Sergei Pavlovich. Like, I didn't see that coming at all. I don't. I still don't even understand it. Like, just straight up, I. I don't know how to – I guess he the best heavyweight in the world? He might just be the best heavyweight in the world. Like I think that that's, that's not an unreasonable thought at this point in time because I got – I don't remember if it was – maybe it was BTL. It was somewhere. I came on and said, I know that Tai Tuivasa can take punches from him because I did. I, I felt very confident. Maybe he can't take like 100 but I've seen – I saw Derek Lewis, who's one of the hardest-hitting dudes in the world, punch that man in the face, and Ty was you know, was cool with it. Like he wasn't stoked about it, but he worked on through it, and he was good. And everything that – everything in my MMA knowledge knew that Ty Tuivasa is, can take a shot and that this is going to be – they're going to have to get down. And if Pavlovich can win, but it's going to take more than one. And that's not really how that fight worked out. Really just kind of <laughs> Pavlovich just hit him once and tied it and like fall over and die. But he was, that was the start of it. Like the one landed and then, then it was just teeing off. It was hunting season. And I don't understand how he's this, like he, this man lost to Alistair Overeem not that long ago. I mean, it was a while back, but it was not that long ago. And Overeem was already pretty washed, but he hits really hard. He's got super like go-go gadget arms that make no sense that he has like a 90-inch reach and is 6'4 or whatever. And he has pretty fast hands and he he just did the damn thing. I don't know if he's the best heavyweight in the world. My guess is he's not even going to get the chance to prove that he might be it for some time because of how backlogged that division is and their insistence on doing John Jones all the favors in the world for some reason. Uh, but... I am stoked to see him fight against 
whoever it is next, like I, whoever, if he can sneak in and get either Cyril Gaon or Derek Lewis, if he can maybe coax Stipe Miocic out of, I won't call it retirement, but whatever the hell Stipe is doing with his life, I I just want to watch this guy boogie and see see where he can go because that was the most by far the most impressive performance on Saturday was Sergey just rolling right on over Tatuivasa. Yeah, I think you meant uh, Curtis Blades, not Derek Lewis, but uh, yeah, yeah, Curtis you know Blades. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Uh, he's definitely number one. Roman Delize is number two. These two guys are probably Delize is the other guy who gets the the yeah. shout out of the three for sure. Yeah, those two guys, if we're doing like breakout fighter of the year, those are two of the top five guys for sure. Pavlovich broke out like crazy, three fights, three knockouts. Delize was an afterthought. Like if I told you in January, hey, Jed, my bold prediction is that Roman Delize is going to be a top eight heavyweight in the war- or middleweight in the world in the UFC rankings by December. You'd have been like, hey, I love like, man, apparently Augusto, Loriano but- Strapoli is way better than I thought he was. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then look at this, the, the, the calf slicer into the TKO. Haven't seen much. That like was that. so sick. That it was, was really so dope. sick. Like there's nothing he could do. There's literally nothing he could do. It's on him. It's just like, Oh, he's done. There's nothing he could do. There's other ways you could go. Nicolau betting on himself, business perspective. I thought that was great. He cashed out big time. Uh, RDA did RDA things. There was no real surprise there. I thought Phil Rowe looked great. The weight miss hinders it. I'm actually going to go with the first fight of the night, Yasmin Uruguay, because golly, what a solid prospect she is in this division. We got to see her overcome a little bit of hardship in this one, and she came back, got a finish, and people are just super excited to see her moving forward. So, I mean, those other names that I mentioned are in there for sure, but all in all, it was a long day. It was a long card, but it was was good. It was so long and so weird because, like, this fight – it was a mix of old people and young people, but not like in head-to-head matchups. They're like prospects taking on other – like Francis Marshall, Yasmin Uruguay, uh, Pavlovich, Nikolai. Like those are people on the come up. But then you also have like Angela Hill <laughs> fighting Emily Ducote. It's just like yeah, someone who's been around too. for a lifetime and who looks great but isn't like – Angela Hill's not going to make a run. She's just going to be a good, competent person who fights. It was a weird card. Clay Guida, Scott Holtzman. Like, it was just a very weird card composition. Also, that fight was awful. (laughs) Before Zoom Info, business wins took a lot of time, energy, and patience. But today, Zoom Info aligns your sales and marketing teams, identifies ideal customers faster, and automates your go-to-market strategy. So you can scale up and get on the fast track to marketplace domination. And that's how winners win. Unlock insights, engage customers, win faster at zoominfo.com. Zoom Info, how business goes to market. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. But Jed, in the days leading up to UFC Orlando, this UFC betting scandal has continued to boil over into just a massive story because we saw... Two major provinces in Canada, Ontario and Alberta, just halt UFC betting altogether. 
and this happened last week, like not MMA betting, just the UFC in wake of these investigations going on into the Derek Minner, Shailen Nern and Becca fight. And that's just what we know from what the UFC is telling us, which on Friday, the UFC sends out memos to all the fighters, coaches and managers, and then to everybody in the public saying, hey, James Krause was suspended by Nevada. That's essentially why he didn't corner Miles Johns. He's not allowed to take part in any UFC events. And on top of that, they drop a bit of an ultimatum on the entire Glory MMA UFC team by saying, hey, if you continue to train with this guy or at his gym, you will not be welcome in the UFC. You will not fight for us. Now, at first, Jed, and we talked about this afterwards, when Miles Johns got on the microphone after his win over Vince Morales and he said, the UFC suspended my coach, he couldn't be in my corner. We found out at that time, it was it was a commission thing. It wasn't a UFC decision, but it kind of was on top of it because the commission suspended him. And it was sort of presented to reporters. And we mentioned Kevin Ioli's report as something I had heard similar as a, look, this is something we're investigating. Probably not a good look that you're out there cornering guys. And boy, were we kind of wrong here, at least as it appears, because as the weeks and days have gone by, this does not seem like the case at all. This is a crazy story, a still developing story, one that we have been digging into. And from where I sit currently, this is only going to get worse. And the story is only going to continue to get weirder and weirder and crazier. So we actually haven't heard from you on any of the programs about this, Jed. So your reaction to the latest on this UFC betting slash James Krause saga. Starting to look like I was pretty wrong. Uh, Can't say it conclusively, and I don't want to make accusations, but my baseline stance has been, you know this, from basically the the moment this happened. I think we went on and had a reaction, and my stance has been pretty stalwart. There is just no world in which he is stupid enough to have done this because it, while it may not be directly fight fixing, it's super close. And he's literally the first guy you look at prominently out there with his discord betting stuff, coach of the guy. It just, I, I could not fathom that he might be this dumb and I'm still not willing to say both for legal and because I think I'm still not there all the way yet that James Krause is clearly there's some rotten in Denmark, but if it if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's not a zebra, certainly. So, I there is still more reporting to be done, more things to come out, and it maybe I can envision a world where all of this is a potentially slight overreaction, or not maybe not even an overreaction, but just a reaction to. Uh, a very ugly bit of business that certainly looks bad and everyone's everyone's in CYA mode. Just cover your ass, baby. Like that's what we're doing. It seems that that's probably not the case uh, based on some other things that are out there um, I'm hearing. And it's going to get, it's going to get woolly, man. Things are going to get incredibly fun and interesting. And like, what could be some seriously long-term, like, highly relevant and, and important things can come from this. Like I, I don't even know, like I truly don't know where this is going to go. And that's, that's kind of the most fascinating part to me. Cause even if we take 
Uh, I'm not willing, like I said, I still don't think I have the harshest view of this, right? I am now a lot more willing to say that uh, somebody directly involved in this probably did something um, that at the minimum can be described as shady and probably more accurately can be described as unethical. I'm not willing to say that that is Kraus per se, uh, but I think that that we we can kind of narrow this down from the much wider leeway I was trying to give it. But I can say for certain that some things are going to happen and I don't know how that's going to play. Like, I don't know how this is going to break because the UFC hasn't ever faced like legitimate external scrutiny in this way. And you can make, you can make like pretty reasonable arguments that some of that's our fault, right? That like the MMA media largely doesn't hold the UFC to task as much as it should. Uh, I, that there's a big argument there about whether that's true and to what extent can be done. But when the feds are involved, they are for sure going to make sure things are all the way up and up in so far as they legally have the, the ability to do so. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of reactions from Canadian provinces. Uh, the UFC hit came so strictly is they know that this isn't, this isn't a story that Dana White can, uh, yell about us being pansies and uh, well this is the fight business things happen blah 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 and just kind of sweep under the rug and blow past and so they are treating it like like the seriousness with which it deserves so I still don't know what's going to happen though like I don't I could see this just blowing over in like six months I could see James Krause being excommunicated entirely from the <laughs> community and people going to jail so like i don't know man but this is the most fascinating thing that's happened this year by a lot i think yeah and as far as the fighters involved go who trained there marcelo rojo he was allowed to compete at ufc orlando due to the timing of this all uh tj brown is fighting on saturday but i've seen different interviews i've seen his instagram he split time from glory and another gym. So it looks like as far as I know, he's good to go to fight on Saturday against Eric Silva. Julian Marquez is supposed to fight, I believe next week in the final event of the year against Iran win. No word on him just yet. We just saw and reported that Jeff Molina is not fighting Jimmy flick. Jimmy flicks now fighting Charles Johnson, January 14th. No word officially on whether or not this is related to that. Cause I've asked a lot of people and no one is saying anything. And Oh yeah, Jed, the interim flyweight champion of the world, Brandon Moreno, is scheduled to fight Davis and Figueredo for the fourth time on January 21st at UFC 283, this time to unify the titles. And we know where he's been training for his last couple fights at Glory MMA. And there's no word on uh, whether Moreno will still be good to go for that card. There's just so many unanswered questions with this whole thing and i feel like even as these stories continue to come out we're going to have much more but what's like the biggest unanswered question you have right now jed like what do you want to know the most i mean what i want to know the most is if somebody's fixing fights <laughs> and not yeah. like again not even fixing fights in the traditional sense of of fixing fights but of using what essentially insider information to make bets potentially in against the interests of their own fighters. Cause that's the part where it gets really 
ethically questionable to me, right? Like if you're just, if you happen to have more information because of, because this is, well, one, this isn't the stock market, like it's not regulated like the stock market, et cetera. But if you happen to know more things because you train with a guy, then you just happen to know more things and that's, you, you can use that. But if you happen to know, uh, here, I want to be extremely clear. This is not an accusation. I am not saying this is what happened or or even may have happened because I have truly no idea. But in the hypothetical world where Derek – let's say in a hypothetical world, Derek Minner injured himself two weeks ago, before two weeks before the fight or a month before the fight. And he, he comes in and says, I can't go. My knee is shot. I have blown out my whole knee can't do anything, et cetera. And that is when things get questionable. Because if if you just know that you're that a fighter you are training with or or whatever, he's coming in not a hundred percent or he's got like a bad case of the flu or something, but that fighter is independently going to compete because they need the money, X, Y, Z, whatever reason, and you use that information, that's still like a really gray area that we probably shouldn't play around with in general, but I am willing to give some room there. But if you as the head coach or even as another coach or another figure of authority in that fighter's camp, look at that fighter and say, nah, you can still fight through this. Like I, I think that you can get this done. If you're if you're TJ Dillashaw's camp and say, I know you tore your shoulder and you're useless, but uh, let's let's get out there and you could still do it because he's he's a bad striker and you just gotta get, not grapple with him or whatever. And then you go and bet a substantial sum of money or tell people to bet a substantial sum of money against that, using your position of authority and power to convince a fighter who otherwise would not have competed. That's probably not legal, though I'm not like super versed in the laws in that regard. Like I'd have to look into it. And it's certainly like a real scumbag thing. And so like that's the rest of this. A lot of this is probably necessary, like realistically. that That's kind of my stance is this should be more. And this isn't just germane to, to UFC, by the way. This is sort of to all sports. Sports betting is being widely legalized in this country and they're – there are going to be some growing pains and that probably needs to have a more stringent regulation process that goes with it for these various sorts of things for integrity reasons and moral reasons. I'm willing to just say, yeah, sometimes there's a little bit of break. Got to break some eggs omelet. We'll get there in the end. But where I draw the hard and fast line is if, if you are using a position of authority to effectuate a negative outcome for your fighter, to your own monetary gain or to really jive the system in that way. That's super dirtbaggy. And that's the only thing I want to know because the rest of it, you know, if this is just sort of how the cookie crumbles while we're in this little weird room, okay. Like it, it's not great and it'd be cool if it didn't happen, but that's not going to be like, I'm not going to think about that and be like, damn, that, that was shitty. But if this, I just want to know if there was like intentional foul play because then that that as the only part of this that truly matters to me in a long term stance. We'll obviously keep you posted on the latest here. There's, I mean, we're digging in. It's an insane story, and I'm confident when I say that we're probably just scratching the surface of something even crazier. So, yeah, it's freaking wild, man. Uh, you mentioned T.J. Dillashaw real quick. He retired. Are you surprised by this? Your reaction? 
true, my true and honest reaction, the first thing I thought was, man, F that dude. Just, I know that this business and largely the, the world in general is a me first, got to look out for number one. It, I will go to my grave being so mad that this injured D-bag who could, who never could have won the fight took this fight instead of stepping aside to get his shit together and costing Jose Aldo one final title shot. Like I will, and that's the fan in me, like, cause I recognize that he doesn't owe Jose Aldo anything and he's got to look out for himself, but uh, the fan in me will never forgive him for that. I never gave a shit about his steroid stuff and I still don't, I'm, you're never going to make me care. This made me actively dislike him into a way that is, is hard to understate. <laughs> and as far as the rest of it, cause obviously I see the narrative. I, I don't care, man. Like do drugs. It is fine. Retire, roid up, get back to a okay, get off the gear and, and, Join the party again if that's what you want to do. I have absolutely no issue if that becomes like the new standard. I know a lot of people will, and that may end up leading to, you know, if enough people do it, maybe the UFC is like, okay, we need to push that six-month window back to a year. So you you have to be tested for a year before you get in. At that point, uh, then there's a whole other set of issues that people are going to hate. Because drug testing in in sports is very dumb. It's largely incredibly arbitrary, and I I will just never care about it. I'm just never going to do it. So if that's how he has to get around the rules to get back, and he can come back to a semblance of the A-plus fighter that he was, and I get to watch him compete one or two more times, I'm for it. Because I I just want to see people do cool stuff. And if that's how it has to be done, go for it, man. Let's move on to this Saturday. We're kind of bouncing around, but that's why I like doing these shows because like, we just got to have a little bit of a game plan, but then we just go Mike, over the place. I'm going to just talk right over you. and We don't have to dive into it, but if Yuri Prohashka can fight sooner than a year from now because he gets out of USADA and shoots all the roids directly, like the liver king cocktail into his shoulder, and he can come back in eight months instead of 12, we should all want that. It is literally better for every single one of us, and if you say no then I, you are a pearl-clutching, sky-is-falling, 90-year-old integrity of baseball dude ass, and I'll need you in my life. Like, get me Yeary quicker. Don't make me wait a year and a half if I can get him for eight months because he gets geared up. It seems so obvious. Well, speaking now, of Yeary. Yeah, speaking of Yeary, uh, he is not fighting on Saturday at UFC 282. We will have a new light heavyweight champion crowned at the end of it. Hopefully, hopefully it's not a dry or any shenanigans, but Jan Blachowicz. <laughs> oh, will be you just up. put it into the world, Mike. <laughs> I know, I know. Jan Blachowicz will look to become a two-time champ and Magomed Ankalaev will take what he said at media day feels belongs to him already. Now, I have not listened to No Bets Bard. I plan on listening later this evening because I have a couple of drives ahead of me, but I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I have looked at this fight a little bit more this week just to kind of get a grasp on things and i've gone back and watched like the last few fights of both guys and even for the sake of this exercise i went back and i watched the entire magomed ankle tiago santos fight it's a fight, fight that i said i would never fight again never watch again it's i actually went back and watched it boy it, it's worse the second time but i've been very confident 
from the original non-title booking that Ankalaev was going to win this fight convincingly. And he could do just that on Saturday. It's very possible. But I got to say, the more I've watched from both guys, I feel stylistically this is actually a much more compelling than I thought it was originally. I'm not saying that the gaps have closed like entirely here, but this fight's closer than I thought it was originally the more I've dove into it. Where are you at with this one? I've gone on a bit of journey with this one. Uh, to a large extent, I agree with that assessment of it. So when I first thought about this fight, uh, I was like, well, Ankalaev's going to win pretty handily. And then I watched some tape, and then I was like, actually, this is a lot closer. And then I watched a bunch more tape uh, for the Pass to Victory uh, um, column I write for every pay-per-view. Uh, and I'm pretty confident Ankalaev wins in, in good fashion. That's not to say that he will dominate the fight. Uh, so here's my thoughts on it, right? There is a world where I think Jan, Jan Blachowicz can win this fight. Uh, he probably isn't going to, but there are some, like he has some real stylistic advantages or edges that he can lean on. He's a great kicker. And that has been a, a weakness of Ankalaev's. Like we saw Volkan Ozdemir chop his legs out. And that was a fight that Ankalaev won pretty handily, but Ozdemir had a ton of success chopping the legs out. I had the stat. I don't Something like Ankalaev has like 86% of leg kicks thrown at him land. Like he doesn't really check them. We did see him do a little bit more of it in the Anthony Smith fight, but that fight was a little too short for us to take any real big thoughts from it. So I think Jan, just by being a really good kicker, and Ankalaev most kicks a little bit, but he's mostly prefers to box and Jan could set a long range and just sort of use the body kicks that he has, low kicks, to just sort of chip at Ankalaev over time. Because Ankalaev is largely not going to force issues. That's that's not who he is. He mostly wants to look at the counter. Uh, he'll lead occasionally, but not not very often. So I think early on this fight is going to look like that. But my suspicion, Jan has like one really, really big weakness, and it's come to bite him in the ass a couple of times. And it's he he has this tendency and I'm not like I have thoughts on why, but I'm not 100 percent sure where he just like runs forward really recklessly, like with a combination of punches. When he starts throwing in combination, there's minimal defense involved. He he sort of forgets his hand positioning and just kind of fires him out there and come what may. And he does this a lot like on a blitzing charge forward like Carlos Condit sort of used to do. Only he didn't have Carlos Condit's chin to just be doing that. And the Tiago Santos knockout was a direct – like directly. He he did – he just ran at Santos. Santos backed up and threw one – like threw a couple and a left hand just spun, spun Jan around. Glover hurt him in the exchange prior to the fight-ending takedown submission – Hurt him with the left hand because Jan just kind of threw his hands a bunch. He does it in just about every fight, and I think that he does it when he feels that he's behind to, like, I've got to try and get some respect back or I've got to win these points back. And so then he does it, and every time he does it without defense, and it costs him several times in his career, if he does it against Uncle Live, he is going to get dropped. And I think that at some point it's going to happen. Like I think Jan can make this really competitive a distance, but I think it's at, he is not as fast as Ankalaev, and that's 
that he has to navigate around that, which is going to be a problem. And I think eventually he is going to feel that he's behind and try and make something happen. And when he does, he's going to get countered and put down. Uh, and like, there's also a world where Uncle Iev just out wrestles him, but that probably isn't going to happen. I do think that we're talking like third or fourth round TKO uh, for for Uncle Iev at this point. Yeah, I, I think the one that I, I've kind of gone back and and watched a few times and was like, hmm, maybe like there's something here. It's the Adesanya fight with Bohovic because. He didn't really charge in that much. Like there are moments where he got. He's really disciplined that whole fight. Yeah. This is his best fight he's ever had by a lot. Yeah. And I feel like if he could do something, if he could find a middle ground between the two, because I think if he, if he does that for 25 minutes, now I know he was able to get the takedowns in the second round. There's this narrative that, well, Jan just sat on him the whole fight. It's literally not true. Go back and watch it. Uh, Cause he was landing on Izzy and he was in Izzy's Izzy and ankle laugh or not similar strikers like there's obviously differences between the two but they're both very patient guys they both look to counter they both want you to come to them and i don't think that strategy will work for bohovich the same way it worked against adesanya however he just can't be reckless either so if he can find some sort of middle ground between those two sort of styles i think he's got a shot here but again i think the longer this one goes the more it probably favors ankle lap just because he's got more tools in the shed, if you will. So that's, that's the interesting part of this fight to me. I think if in general, I agree with that, but how does a short notice play here? Because like Jan seems to think that the, the extra rounds help him. And I can see the argument for it of he's been in those waters more. Um, he may even have been training, you know, four or five in case something happened. I have no idea what Uncle Ives doing. If that extra 10 minutes is like in my head, it shouldn't matter because he, he, it's not like he fights at a super high pace, right? But I just have no idea what the extra 10 minutes is going to do this fight. It creates a whole world of opportunity for both guys that I have no idea how it plays out. Yeah. This fight's better than I thought it was. I'll, I'll say that. Um, one last thing, and then it we'll could, move on to some of the other storylines. It's Go really ahead. good and high level. There is a, a hot, there is a reasonable possibility that this fight will suck to watch. There is a I possibility hope it isn't, that. But it is it would not shock me at all if we're talking on Saturday night at five in the morning. Well, we said that this was one of the worst pay-per-views of the year, and it didn't really deliver anything above expectation. <laughs> so I hope that's Last not the thing, case. Uh, Knock on wood. We'll we'll move on to the to the co-main event in a second. But Jan was asked about this at Media Day yesterday, and he basically responded by saying, by turning it into a whole different thing, like Yuri didn't want to fight me anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But you know, we've seen this before. We've seen this a lot in this division, specifically, mostly involving John Jones being stripped of the title and from shenanigans and a new champion crown, but Will you view the winner of this fight, Jed, as like the actual champion or more of an interim role while Prohashka hails up? Because this is not at least what we're being told here. This is not the UFC being like, we're stripping you of the title. This is, you know what? Yuri stepping away out of respect for the division. So do you view the winner of this fight as the actual champion? It's a really good question. Um, Because I've been thinking about it a lot this week uh, and in advance of knowing we're going to have to do rankings on Saturday night or Sunday morning. I think no, 
I, I think I will view the winner of this fight as the number two guy in the division. May now if one of if if uh, well look if Jan goes out and does the greatest thing I've ever seen in a fist fight, he will still never be the number one heavyweight in the world because I watched Glover Teixeira dismantle him in vicious fashion. So he will have to end up as number three. Uh, but if Ankalaev goes out and does something incredibly impressive or looks because again I thought he looked good in the Anthony Smith fight frankly like I thought we saw some some actual tangible and important improvements to his game in the short period of time that that fight was contested in a realistic fashion and so if he comes and he looks even better and he just walk, like walks Jan like a dog like out of the cage then I will feel very comfortable putting him at number one because I've sort of wanted to for a while. He just hasn't – I have thought that he's probably the best light heavyweight in the world for a, a year and a half. He just hasn't – his performances have been wins, but they haven't been the exact performance you want. The Tiago Santos fight was just horrifically bad to watch, and I couldn't move him into top position after that. Like I wanted to. I think we talked about it uh, privately before, and I was like, if he just goes and, and blows Tiago Santos out, I'm just going to move him to number one because I wanted to have him there because I think he probably is. And then the Anthony Smith fight happens, and again, I want to move him up, but it's just – the, the weirdness of that fight kind of takes away from my ability to just shove all in on him like I did with Islam forever ago. So if he comes and he he has a, a career-defining performance and, and looks amazing, and I'm probably I'll feel okay about putting him there. But if he comes and ekes out a Tiago Santos decision, I'm still sticking Yuri at the top. So let's move on to the co-main event, Jed, because one half of the fight got a lot of attention from a podcast he did with Dana White this week. It is Patty the Batty Pimblet. He's making his fourth UFC appearance. He's looking to stay unbeaten inside the octagon. He's taking on Jared Gordon. Big one for Patty. This will answer some questions for me in regards to whether or not he could be like a top 20-ish lightweight. It won't answer the many more that I have about him because, golly, I certainly have him. But it will make me say, you know what? This guy is better than I gave him credit for. But Jared's tough as hell. He's a dog. He's a wily vet. Him getting in a fist fight with Patty Pimblett on Saturday is like the 5,000th most difficult thing he has done and had to deal with in his life. And he's been in there with far better competition, undoubtedly. But this is by far the biggest spotlight Jared Gordon has ever had in a UFC fight. So thoughts on the matchup just two days away from it because it's gotten a ton of attention for reasons outside of the fight mostly. But it's getting some more buzz the closer we get to Saturday. This should still probably be the main event to this card, like just realistically. Once once the light heavyweight fight dropped off, uh, Patty's Pat, Patty's the draw, and I have thoughts on Patty. I kind of don't want to dive too deep into him just because it's it, it's just exhausting. And he got ethered so aggressively hard by Ariel that like what what else can I do? Like I can't body, but I can't put that man in a bag any worse than Ariel did. And so it's just not even worth it. Uh, from a, like a nuts and bolts in the merit, it's, it's really a fight. Like that, this is oh, – I won't say it's a really good fight. It's a good fight and it's a, a fight that makes sense. I have been – even prior to Patty showing his whole ass this week, I have not been a huge Patty Pimblett supporter. Not because of his personality, which – I'm not like all the way in on, but he's done some good stuff. The openness about mental health with his his friend who passed, like that's really good stuff. Uh, his personality, I get it. Like I understand why people gravitate towards him. 
I, I'm totally and, and the the O Patty the Batty song is legit. It's a banger. You can't take nothing away from that man on in that regard. But I just never thought he's a very good fighter. He's a fine fighter, but he's not. He he is one of the few guys in the sport that his his stardom far outstripped his ability. I've said that for years. I was willing to maybe start walking that back, and this fight will maybe make me feel even a little different. I still do not feel that he will be a champion or even really be a title contender. But I used to not think that he was a top twenty dude, and his last his last fight against Levitt, who's like not a great fighter, but a, a very solid dude, and Patty just sort of pillar to posted that one. It's like okay, he's still young, he's still developing, he's showing some improvement. Maybe he does have a higher ceiling than I gave him credit for. Jared Gordon is the next logical step in that path of okay, maybe he can make, maybe he can crack a ranking, you know, maybe he can get there, uh, and we'll see. I. I th- I think he probably wins, but I also – this is the hardest opponent he's going to have faced. And Jared Gordon, big moment. I don't think this moment is going to affect him come this fight. I don't think he cares. And so from a purely engaged standpoint, I'm interested because this fight more than any other is a really good litmus test. I will know how to feel about Patty Pimblett after this fight one way or the other. I will know, okay, he has a higher ceiling than I gave him credit for. Let's figure out where that is. It's probably 15, probably not 10. Or, cool, he was who I thought he was. Sweet, I can go back to just not being that invested in him as a, as a fighter. Uh, and, yeah, so that's it. So I'm curious where Patty goes from here because there have been some disagreements between, like, myself. I know Ariel was against this, but I loved... Hopefully he goes to the, a PR firm and learns how not to come at dudes unless you got the receipts, my man. Yeah. And Ariel and I disagreed. I thought the matchmaking of Aaron Blanchfield versus Molly McCann was brilliant because you can't lose. You couldn't really lose in the situation almost for the same reasons you're talking about, right? Because Molly has become this a really big star people just love her they all love her i'm not saying everybody loves patty but they all at least respond to patty whether good or bad but molly i just i i kind of felt the same way like she's fun people like her she's a quality competitor she ain't fighting for a title but you know maybe she will so let's throw in there with this blanchfield girl and worst case scenario she loses aaron gets the rub and molly will just go back to the uk and squash somebody and look like a massive star again so if patty wins on saturday how do you book him because if he loses same thing it's easy just throw him back in london give him a top 50 guy let him run him over gets the big reaction star power doesn't get killed emotional reaction doesn't power doesn't get killed with the loss here a win it's a bit different because this is the cadillac division of the ufc this is the lightweight division of there's so many heavy hitters here that I feel are just much better than Patty that deserve big opportunities probably before him, but because of the following he has, the the type of energy he brings, everything about him, a lot of these guys are probably going to be skipped. There are no easy fights for him in the top 15, and if he beats Jared Gordon, at least in my mind, they're going to have to probably throw him to somebody in the top 15 at the very least. So if Patty wins, who would you throw him in there against? Pulling up right now to give it a look. Uh, oh, let me see the UFC's rankings. I agree. He probably needs a ranking, a ranked opponent. Uh, 
I don't know if you could do Tony Ferguson at this point. Tony's lost like no. six in a row or something. He's still number 15 in their rankings, BT Dubs. Uh, you probably just can't even sell it. But that fight had Tony not just gotten beat up by Nate Diaz still would have made the most sense to me. I thought it made sense a while back, frankly. Uh, looking at their rankings, you could do Connor. It wouldn't be bad but they probably won't do it uh i don't think that you give him a ranked opponent if you're going to it's dan hooker and i think dan just works him but dan's like the guy who can maybe sell who has a number that there's at least maybe a path forward because it's not like dan is a flawed fighter he's fun as he is he's a flawed fighter so that and big personality there's that they could sell tickets that can headline any event you want to headline. And there's no issues with that. Uh, so I think Dan, if you, if they are con- insistent on making him fight a ranked guy, if not, if they're still okay, we can give him maybe one guy who's not, uh, you could do like Drocker close. Drew Dober, Is Drew Dober ranked in the UFC. No, Drew uh, Dober might. No, Drew, Drew, he's not ranked, but he's he's set to fight Bobby Green next weekend. Uh, the winner the of that fight, that. the the winner of yeah. Dober Bobby Green, if they're not insistent on giving him a ranked opponent, um, or maybe the winner of that fight sneaks into number fifteen and they finally let Tony Ferguson fade into the ether. Uh, so th- that wouldn't be bad, though. I think that 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 fight probably is less has le- not probably the fight is less interesting or compelling than Dan Hooker would be. But that's probably a much – well, Bobby Green walks him out of the cage too. Drew Dober probably. It's the thing. I think unless he shows me something against Jared Gordon, anybody we're talking about, save Tony Ferguson, that's who's like ranked in the top 15 to 18, I think it's just going to work him. It's just going to rinse the dude. So I don't know how you try and cultivate him. I think Dan Hooker probably makes the most sense as I'm talking through this because if Dan wins – it's it just, that gives the, he's a guy that people already like and it gives Dan a bump as opposed to God love Bobby Green, I I don't think he's getting a huge bump here uh, at this stage of his career. So yeah, Dan Hooker, I think that's the answer. So up until about three hours ago, I was thinking it's Jalen Turner. That's the one. God because no, no I understand why Jalen just would say kills that. him. <laughs> Right, but Jalen gets a huge bump from that because he's not the most – he's an interesting cat, but he ain't the most entertaining guy he's, on the stick. That's the thing. He is a, he is fascinating. He is not compelling, <laughs> and those are two right. very different things. and that's things. the thing. Grant Dawson, somebody like that, and I think um, Patty threw a little shade in Grant's direction at the media day yesterday when talking about Jared Gordon, but then somebody brought up a name I thought was really interesting, and I was like, this might actually be the right one on Heck of a Morning this morning. How about Patty Pimble versus Money Moicano? That wouldn't be that'd be reasonable. I, I yeah, think. I love that. Idea. That's also like theoretically winnable. Moicano probably beats him, but that is that's at least winnable. Um, I always just forget because I didn't care about the Moicano thing, so like he just kind of evaporates out of my head. That's reasonable. <laughs> um, or you could, if you're feeling real froggy, just do the winner of the uh, Sarukian and Ismagalov are fighting next week, aren't they? Yep. Do do the winner of that one if you really feel frisky. <laughs> if you're really just trying to build the star off the off the desiccated carcass of Patty Pimblet, feed him to the winner of Armin Sarukian, Demir Smagulov. Golly. 
It's just a murderer's row, 155. Uh, Dude, 155 is so good. <laughs> it's so, so good. ridiculous. Uh, rest of the main card, pretty solid. I, I love the Taporia Mitchell fight. I think it's the best, best fight, fight of the, of the entire card. A lot of, of solid prelim weekend. fights. Yeah, a lot of solid prelim fights. I We're going to see the UFC debut of Raul Rosas Jr., the 18-year-old. But let's talk about a fighter before we move on to our last topic that is on your Mount Rushmore, Jed. Darren Till, you have been on many a show, jumping up, climbing up mountains as fast as you could to scream to anyone who will listen how much you admire this man's talent, you admire this man's resume more than anything, and he's fighting Drickus Duplessis. First time we've seen him in 15 months since the Derek Brunson loss, dealing with a lot of injuries. And I know how excited you are to watch Darren Till get back in there because you think so highly of him. So I'll let you wax poetically about Darren in this fight, but the question I want to present is, does Darren Till have more pressure on him than anybody else in this entire card to win on Saturday? God, no. Not even close. <laughs> because Darren Till is the king. He is the captain of the fail upwards all-stars. It is him and Kelvin Gastelum leading the way for how to lose and lose and lose and get bigger opportunities every time out. If he loses to DDP, he probably fights Alex Pereira next. Or honestly, he if he loses this fight, somehow like Pereira gets hurt and Izzy's like, I still want to fight at Perth or whatever. Give me Darren Till. I've wanted to fight him for years. Screw it. We're both coming off losses. Let's finally do it. Like that is the most likely outcome, frankly, of this entire scenario because that's all he does. Darren Till doesn't win fights and then he gets a bigger opportunity afterwards. It is, he is the most frustrating fighter, I think, in the entire sport. I talked about this on No Bets Bard this week and I've said it forever. And maybe this is the, maybe this is the week because I love DDP. He is a flawed fighter. He has some some obvious limitations, and he does really like to leave his chin out there. And Darren Till punches sort of hard, and so maybe that's just maybe this is the time where Darren Till finally gets a relevant win. But I'm not betting on it because spot the lie. Here's the thing: one of our colleagues came to me this morning and he heard listen to No Bets Bar and was like, "Wow." The slander on Darren Till, outrageous. And my response was, it's not slander if it's true. And the only thing I said was, and it's a fact, and if I'm wrong, tell me how I'm wrong. Darren Till has not had a convincing, non-controversial win since knocking out Donald Cerrone in 2017. Cowboy Cerrone, career lightweight, I know he did the whole middle, the welterweight thing as well, but for most of his career was a lightweight at even in 2017 was pretty, was on the well done side of cooked. And that is to this day, Darren Till's best win. He got a BS decision over Steven Thompson. I, he, and then got a probably okay, but still questionable splitty over Kelvin Gastelum. And he's lost every other one. And I don't care that he looked okay against Robert Whitaker. You know what he also did against Robert Whitaker? He lost. He didn't win the fight. He hasn't won a relevant fight, like a clear, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, won a relevant fight since Donald Cerrone. And calling Donald Cerrone in 2017 relevant is 
probably a, a stark condemnation of where the welterweight division was at that point in time. Because let's let's look at his other wins, Mike. Before that, I was about as big as a Bohan Velichkovic guy as there was. But I'm not here to tell you that that's a good win. Uh, we all remember the barn burner against Jessen Ayari, fight of the year that he also missed weight for BT dubs. And then a draw with Nicholas Dolby. Like, where are his good wins? Somebody point to me his good wins. He doesn't have them. And that doesn't mean that he is total shit. He, he is probably not that. But he has never, his talk outside of the cage has so dramatically exceeded even the, like, the most rose-colored glasses view of his actual in-cage product. And it, it drives me crazy that he is still like in the mix because I you gotta do something you gotta beat somebody that matters and really beat them not get a decision that you may or may not have earned it is and this is chance there is frankly DDP is probably about as good of a style matchup as he could hope for in this middleweight division at this point in time this is a winnable fight for him I am picking Drickus Dr- C, but if he can land the big shot and do it and maybe training with Hamzat has reinvigorated him, I don't know. But the the love and the adoration and the the support that he gets, having done nothing in the cage to back that up and having not fought in 15 months so we really have no clue what he's going to look like, I don't get it, man. I've never understood it. And maybe this is just one of my blind spots and I'll never be there. But who I... I hope strongly that DDP runs over him and we can be done with Darren Till as a contender and you can do fun things with Darren Till because he's he if he could fight consistently, which has been a huge issue as well, he could still be a fun guy to have scrap up with people, which is not this, I'm going to be a three-division champion. No, you are not. Wow. See, Mount Rushmore. Jed is a huge Darren Till fan, as as you could hear. He lost. Yeah, we'll Daniel Poulton. He lost. He didn't win that fight. He you can't. We have this argument internally and on like the ranking show. <laughs> I don't give two shits that Colby Covington fought Kamar Usman really hard forever. He hasn't, he doesn't have a relevant welterweight win in like a decade. You have got to, at some point, you have got to actually convincingly beat your contemporaries and not just live in this land of, well. They were good wins five years ago. I have the same issue with Stipe Miocic. Stipe does not have a win over a ranked heavyweight beyond Francis Ngannou, who, by the way, put him in a pine box the last time they fought. You have got to stay active and stay winning for me to give you the respect of a top 15 guy. This is not to say that he doesn't have the skills or ability. All of them are clearly all of the people I just mentioned are clearly highly competent fighters, but to walk around and act as if they get to rest on their laurels for 10 years is nonsense to me. And it has been, and it always will be beat somebody real and convincingly this, this decade. And we can then talk about where Darren Till is in the middleweight title picture. Love the passion. Uh, I do agree with you that this is a, this is probably the best matchup he's going to get. Because Drickus is Drickus is just is pure chaos, and he's just going to go right at him and try to knock Darren out. Drickus does not care chance. at all. Yeah, <laughs> he, he doesn't bring care. it. Yeah, there will be no takedowns. There will be no wrestling. Maybe he might just 
faint something, but for the most part, these two are scrapping, and Darren has – this is his best chance. But good matchmaking because if Drickus wins, he gets to build off of this name of Darren Till, and there you go. Uh, before we get out of here, because we are running out of time, let's give some shine to Bellator 289. That is coming up tomorrow. Pretty solid main card, at least the top three fights. Like Dalton Ross is fighting Anthony Adams, and we kind of already know what's going to happen in that fight more than likely, but – Two title fights. We got Magomed Magomedov versus Patchy Mix. That's a compelling-ass matchup right there from a stylistic perspective. We get the rematching Liz Carmouche, Juliana Velasquez for the flyaway title. And then we have the other semifinal Grand Prix matchup for the interim Bellator Bantamweight title between Rafian Stotts and Danny Sabatello. So real quick, thoughts on the card? And then the final question I will ask you here. What are the chances that Stott Sabatello, as a fight, lives up to the build? I think it's a good fight card. Um, but I know Bellator is doing the Rising Co. promotion, but as far as their like final individual card of the year, good effort. Uh, it, this is more what I would hope, frankly, from Bellator, in that it's only 11 fights. Like They're not doing the, here are 17 Amy fights on the undercard or whatever. Uh, keeping it to a tight 11. They have three fights that really matter and a couple of sprinklings of other fights that are relevant uh, or like quality as far as their card goes. And that's good composition. Like that's good card composition for them. Like I will be watching on Friday. I think I'm off Friday. I don't have to cover this event. I will tune into Showtime. I got to figure out how to buy Showtime or whatever because it's it's not a network that people have because I don't – they're opposed to doing that. But I'll figure it out and I'll watch because the main event, incredibly compelling. The co-main event, their first fight was a solid fight and that is – that's a ranked – that is a fight between ranked women. I believe both Carmouche and Velasquez are ranked in both our women's pound for pounds and our flyweight rankings as they should be. Uh, and their first fight was solid, and I think Velasquez can get this done. And then you get uh, – you also have the other semifinal, the the Mitch double Magomed fight. And that's that's a really good fight. Like those three fights are good, and there are a couple other ones. So good card overall. As for the main event being compelling or, or interesting, I'm not sure. How did you word that? Will the fight live up to the build? Oh, yeah, what are no. the chances? Almost a 0% chance. Um I mean, maybe not zero, but like 10%. It's pretty low probability because the build, oh, I guess that's also, the build this week is way less good. I know that they tried to get a little bit of the juice back, but like the build three months ago, the juice was all there. Everybody had it, and then we had to wait, and it cooled off. They probably could have done a little more of letting it build at the right times, but whatever. But uh, I think this fight looks, I think we were about to see all the limitations of Danny Sabatello put uh on a platform for the whole world to see because the man cannot strike the man can only grapple it's the only thing you do is really good at that's great pretty sure ruffian stats is, is a better wrestler and certainly a capable enough defensive wrestler to limit sabatello's ability to get his game going which means he's gonna be forced to strike and ruffian stats is actually pretty decent there and certainly much better and so and we were talking about it off air beforehand. There are some questions about Stotts' gas tank and, and how he'll look if Sabatello is continuing to bring the pressure and, you know, the championship rounds. But I kind of think it won't matter because I think Stotts is just going to be ahead of him the whole time. And so it it is not 
in fights like this, uh, my default is always one guy can win by control and one guy can can win by control or knocking you out. Two is better than one. Give me stats. I still think that that is the, by far the most likely outcome. And so this fight will won't be this back and forth battle or scrap. It will probably be uh, not clearly not as as de, uh, as drastic as the. Uh, uh, RDR versus Malkinen fight was, but the same dynamic of I can't take this dude down. I am I am a sitting duck on my feet, and that's just how this will play out. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, Savage is so good at getting you down and kill and hold you there. The first three rounds are going to tell us everything if it even gets that far. If, if we're talking. If Sabs can win the first for one of the first two rounds, this fight gets real interesting. I was gonna say if Sabatello can win, I mean, if he wins any of the first three rounds, uh, then it's really interesting because if you know if he wins the first round, then loses two, that's probably not as interesting. He's probably like, yeah, Stotts is probably just gonna keep doing this. But if he wins the third round because Stotts is slowing down and he can get get takedowns, then that's okay. There's still there's still two more of them to go. <laughs> And it's if he can take any of the first three, this fight is very, very compelling very quickly. It's just that is, but it's whether he can do it or not. Not I don't think he can, but we're gonna find out. We are gonna find out, uh, and that's it. I think we are out of time here. I had fun. Boom. We could have done this for another half an hour, but uh, the day moves on. So thank you very much, Casey. You can hit the music. This is a lot of fun. We'll we'll be back with uh, another fresh matchup next week this is not a matchup but we will have a matchup next week it'll be the final btl heading into a ufc card for 2022 we'll recap 282 bellator all sorts of fun stuff so thank you very much for jed for casey on the ones and twos appreciate you the iconic voice of esterlin takes you home we'll see you back here once again between the links next week i am mike heck good night everybody love you guys this has been between the links a mma fighting production you're listening to the vox media podcast network before zoom info business wins took a lot of time energy and patience but today zoom info aligns your sales and marketing teams identifies ideal customers faster and automates your go-to-market strategy so you can scale up and get on the fast track to marketplace domination and that's how winners win Unlock insights, engage customers, win faster at zoominfo.com. Zoom Info, how business goes to market.